Welcome to the Data Guru Podcast. We're your hosts, Scarlett Burks and Laurel Wilhelm Volpe. We will trade off hosting duties this year to bring you a wide range of data experts discussing audience strategy, emerging trends, and practical ways to boost campaign performance. Thanks everyone for joining us this month as we talk about advanced TV. Uh, so I'm joined today by Linda Harrison, our favorite data guru, and Connor Burgess. Linda, will you give us a quick intro, please? Yeah, so my name is Linda Harrison, and I am the digital leader of campaign consulting for Axiom. So we deal with all of the campaigns that clients would want to do across all addressable media, including advanced TV. Awesome. And Connor, why are you here talking about advanced TV? All right. So let's start with my current role, which is vice president of advanced TV at Axiom. So in this role, I'm responsible for revenue growth as well as commercial strategy to achieve near-term and long-term results. What got me to this place in my career is a background with companies that are industry leaders in TV and video measurement, data analytics, and advertising intelligence. And I've also worked in roles supporting growth and development around programmatic platforms and emerging video platforms. Awesome. Thanks. So let's start with setting the stage a little bit, if you don't mind, because advanced TV is such a big term and there's so many facets that are included when we talk about advanced TV. So Connor, can you help us make sense of the alphabet soup that we might hear about when people talk about advanced TV? Sure. Yeah. And I totally agree. Advanced TV gets thrown around um, as kind of the term, but it's really an umbrella term for things like data-driven linear TV, addressable TV, over the top, which is referred to as OTT, and connected TV, which we usually say CTV. So if you want to kind of take a step back and start from the beginning, linear TV is a traditional way that people view TV programs. And that's at a scheduled time when that show is broadcast on its original channel. So think about the way we've all traditionally watched television in the past and uh, must-see TV and priorities sitting down at a certain time of the week. Um, but over the years, you know, there's core foundational changes to linear TV, such as the creation of the DVR and delayed viewing. So this really changed considerations around measurement and ratings of the programs, but it also started reconsidering the value of an ad slot, right? So if the folks weren't watching at that time and it was shifting to other areas, were you actually getting what you paid for, for that advertiser? So, so then, does linear TV really can the rabbit ears and cable TV, or is it just the rabbit ears? It would be both. So we can consider it the rabbit ears. So traditional broadcast nets that would come across the rabbit ears and then the cable providers, MVPDs, and then um, satellite providers as well. So anything kind of coming across traditional methods, really to your television set, non-internet. Okay, what's the next one in our alphabet soup? So if we wanted to start digging around more, we would start looking at things like uh, OTT and CTV. So if you're starting with OTT, this is really premium video content that's streamed and consumed over the internet instead of the MVPD or broadcast networks that we just talked about a moment ago. And then this happens across any app, website, or streaming device that's connected to your TV. So internet delivery of your viewing content. Yeah. So what percentage do you think is now going to OTT? Is it just growing or phenomenally growing? Or do you have any idea on that? 
Yeah, I don't know the exact numbers, but anecdotally, I think it's really been expedited during the past year and during the pandemic. You know, everybody was really tracking towards a trend and moving away from traditional linear TV and towards streaming. So OTT and CTV, but um, everything's been expedited over time. People being home, consuming more content. I think I've seen numbers where it's like five hours more a week of consumption of media. And that consumption, additional consumption comes from streaming services, not from traditional linear. Linear has only really seen growth in areas such as news and where they would see it in sports generally. And so since you mentioned streaming services and Linda, when you um, introduced yourself, you talked about how Axiom, um, you know, how you help with all of the campaigns that Axiom might provide audiences for. Can we take just a minute to talk about some of the streaming services that we work with and how we work with them? Yeah, so if you want to run a campaign on one of those streaming services, you can just reach out to Data Guru, and we can create a special audience, and we distribute it to that platform. So it's really simple, but you have to be working with that platform. It's not just, ta-da, here we go, right? But you could send it to YouTube via DB360, right? But anyone else like a Roku might take more work. Yeah, and that's, that's where because of kind of these changes in tactics and everything being driven around one-to-one precision, Maxim's audience can be accessed from our roster of clients and partners in the programmatic space. That's awesome. So we've talked a little bit about how behavior has been changing and how all of that has been accelerated uh, from the pandemic, from being home so much. Um, I know before we began recording this podcast, we were talking about what we watched last night. And I think all of us were talking about a show on a different streaming service and uh, nobody was talking about something that, uh, you know, only airs on, you know, Monday night at seven. So let's take a second, if you don't mind, to talk about kind of industry trends and what we've seen and also how we see that playing out as we begin this new year. Yes, I think when you look at streaming services, if you want to take a step back and look at how the media companies are looking to monetize, and gain revenue and actually gain foothold in a very competitive space um, with most companies looking to release or have released their own consumer streaming service. So we would have uh, two categories, really. AVOD, which is ad-based video on demand, and SVOD, which is subscription video on demand. So the AVOD allows you to stream the content for free, but requires the viewers to watch ads. So think of YouTube or Tubi. With SVOD, users pay a monthly recurring fee for the service and watch the content. So things like Disney Plus, HBO Max, or Netflix. But over time, you're starting to see a hybrid approach to maximize revenue and adoption of their services. So Hulu does have a mix of AVOD and SVOD with their different pay structures. So you're starting to see people pull some different levers and and how they can work more towards consumer versus kind of just forcing a one-size-fits-all. And even within some of those streaming services, you can pay for additional content right? So I was watching Amazon Prime the other night and I saw a movie I wanted to pay for. So then I paid an extra six bucks and it totally wasn't worth it, but <laughs> it killed two hours of time. Mm-hmm. Well, I think about the new movies, um, like when the new Mulan came out last year, Disney, you know, clearly they didn't release it in movie theaters because of the, you know, shelter in place restrictions, but they put it on Disney plus and you had to pay 1999 to watch it the first three months or however long it was out. Yeah. I mean, these like seismic shifts in 
how we used to consume television movies has all really changed in the past year. And the Mulan example is a great one, Laurel. I mean, you look at what um, HBO is trying to do with their service and bring movies from theaters back into their subscription service, knowing that people can't attend movies in person because of COVID. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's really strange. It's really a strange time to kind of sit back and watch all of this happen in real time, but also much, much faster than anyone expected. And then you have things where certain companies like I think Disney Plus likes to release on a weekly basis instead of kind of the binging where they release mm -hmm. all the programming at once for a certain program. So following more of a traditional TV strategy where it's once a week, you'll get the one program. And if you decide to watch it on a weekly basis or until it's all released after 10 or 12 weeks at one time, that's up to the consumer, but they're looking at different ways of kind of bringing more eyeballs to their services. Well, I think that also forces you to keep your subscription longer. So if you were only going to watch that one show, right, and I wanted to watch the new Star Trek one with Patrick Stewart, if they don't release them all at once, I know I have to pay for it for six months versus I can watch them all in a week. And I'm sure that has a lot to do. That's a great point, Linda, kind of the churn around these services. And I'm sure if they looked at numbers going back a couple of years when streaming services just came to market, people were most likely doing that. They were turning it on and then off again. You know, think about when HBO has these must-see programs that you have to tune into. And then, you know, it's an extra bill that month. Do you keep it when it's off-season? If you even remember you have it, that's a problem today. <laughs> I talked to someone who has like five or six or seven different streaming services. I'm like, wow. You are content heavy, right? I wouldn't even know which one to look for next. Today, I don't know whether it's on this service or this service. And I just look at both and try and find, figure out what I'm watching, much less if I had five to seven. Yeah. And it's like the whole phenomenon of cord cutters and cord nevers. They were cutting it because they wanted all the cart. They wanted only to pay for what they wanted. They thought it would reduce their monthly <laughs> services and bills. And you start adding all these up over time and you're getting those extra programs and things you probably wouldn't watch before. Anyhow, you're not just getting the a la carte that you thought you had. Plus, as you add it all up, it's equal to or more to what your traditional cable would have been. For sure. So I'm going to shift gears for just a second, if you don't mind, and tie this conversation around advanced TV to another topic that is getting talked about a lot in our in our world, in the marketing technology and advertising technology space, and that is the demise of third-party cookies and addressability with, you know, within the digital ecosystem. Is that a factor with advanced TV? And how do you make sure that the, the ads that clients and, and brands are serving, that they're reaching the right people? With advanced TV and particularly starting with kind of the linear space and MVPDs, which are traditional cable networks, they have subscriber files, which are PI based, which really... What's PII? PII is kind of the, the subscriber files and the information on the users. So name and address, right? Because you're getting a bill from the MVPD. Mm -hmm. I'm getting my DirecTV bill. They certainly know where I live because that's where they've turned on service and who's getting the bill. And then as you look, again, we keep going back to this idea of explosion of over the top and connected TV services that are available now. But I think you're going to start seeing more innovation and growth in that area. But also, how do you connect whatever that unique identifier is at each point? So is there a need for a 
you know, some type of unified ID or some type of universal identifier that actually works across all these different areas that can then map uh, where that consumer is across their journey of viewing. And some of them are going to use IP address. So we really haven't talked about connected TVs. And that uses your IP address because it's using your internet provider, which is what IP stands for, right? And those, while they're not completely static, you're in the U.S., they're not as dynamic as they are outside of the U.S. So my TV is using the same internet all the time. Yeah, that's a good point. We have not really touched um, much on that. Yeah, so that that static IP can can provide another vehicle to to serve ads. As we think about kind of the way things have been going and the shifts in uh, consumption around TV, I am not a big sports fan, but there's so many sports fans in the world. We would be a little bit remiss, I think, not to talk about the impact of you know sports viewing on linear TV. Connor, I don't know a thing about this, so could you please enlighten us? Because I am not the right person to talk about it. So traditionally in linear linear TV, sports would have been a big driver of why you had that service. And even if you had these new streaming services, why you would maintain your traditional cable bill, right? Because you want to watch your favorite teams, football on the weekends. It's really one of the last priority TV that you have to watch live or you know, you can't talk about it the next day. You don't want spoilers watching it again the next day. You know, that's always going to be a big part of the value of linear TV. I think what happened over the past year with COVID, there was a shift in when the season started. And then following COVID protocol, some delays in games each week. So instead of having a game on Sunday for NFL football, you know, it was delayed to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday afternoon. So a lot of that viewership wasn't gained back again because it just wasn't a time and day when it's convenient to sit down and consume a three-hour football game. The hope is now into 2021, start getting back into some normal scheduling where you start um, having the games played on time and more in the either primetime slot or weekend slot when people are at home and able to watch the games. I'm still at home. I've always been at home. I just, not convenient. I'm working in the middle of the day. I can't watch that show. Yeah. But I did find that my TV has FS2, which has horse racing, which is very exciting for me. (laughs) That's awesome. So both of you talk to clients, uh, you know, all day, every day who are, and I say clients, what I really mean, are you talking to brands who are crafting campaigns and trying to get their messages out to the right people? If you were to give them any advice or you know, things to keep in mind as they think about their TV campaigns in 2021, what would you tell them? Well, I have two stories I would talk about. One is a client is using typical age gender. So they're using Nielsen ratings to determine what networks and programs to run their campaign on. And my first question was, why don't you go to a data-driven linear approach? Instead of just picking by age and gender, you're trying to sell high-end homes. You would think that things like income and home market value and things like that would be much more important than how old I am. So we're talking to them about data-driven linear, and I'll have Connor give a little bit more insight into that and how it's done. Yeah, thanks, Linda. So that's exactly where I was going to go as well as kind of 
moving the boundary from traditional GRPs and rating points, which are based on age and gender, into an audience approach, looking to find more value in who's that audience you're trying to reach at the end of the day. So with data-driven linear, um, that really informs your national TV schedule. And it allows advertisers to deliver audience-based advertising uh, via linear television. So what we do for that is we actually provide the audiences and we match that up against the viewership data, such as Nielsen and Comscore. And from there, uh, index is produced. So it tells you, does your audience over-index or under-index against this certain program day part? or whatever kind of viewership category you're looking to break it down by. It's a great way of kind of building your plan out for a linear TV. And that's probably the number one thing we're doing now in the linear TV space at Axiom. And then addressable TV. So I work with a client that has uh, children's toys specifically designed for one to five-year-olds and they have them sort of gender biased as well. So they really don't, they want to have national ads, but they don't really want to hit me because I don't have young children at home. I'm not their best target audience. So they are doing addressable TV where only people in the target audience can see the ad. Other people don't get to see it. So Connor, explain the mechanics here. Yep. So with addressable TV, that's really what we call household addressable. So we work with the MVPDs, the cable providers, and uh, we provide our audiences that they can select and segment to serve to households specific to that advertising segment that they want to reach. Um, and that's right now limited to kind of a two and three minute local advertising slot each hour. And the industry is moving very quickly towards an idea of national addressable to fill the other ad slot using the same technology and strategy. That explains why I see ads for my the restaurant down the street when I'm watching something on like a Sling TV, for example, um, you know, a, just a streaming program that internet-based, you wouldn't typically see your local ad for. So that seems like a good example of, of that in action. Yep. Yeah. It may not be addressable, though. It might just be local right? That everybody in your locale is seeing the same ad. Now, if you are seeing a different ad at the same time than Scarlet sees, mm -hmm. then you would say that that was addressable, right? Because who you are, what you do, how, you know, age, yep. things like that would affect which ad you'd see if you're in market for a car, for example. And, and that restaurant could have served you something from a zip, zip level, that everybody kind of in your zip code level is very interested in going there and eating from the menu. Good points. So uh, next month, Linda, when Scarlett Burks is back hosting, be sure to ask her if she's seeing ads. I'll tell you the name of the restaurant, you know, offline and you can see, was it just a zip or local based or was it actually meant for me because they know that Laurel is the best client for, uh, for that particular spot? Exactly. Anyway, awesome guys. Thank you so much. I have, I know that I uh, have learned a lot about addressable TV and advanced TV, connected TV, OTT, CTV, MVPDs, and every other um, acronym we've used 
Connor, you taught me some new ones. I did not know AVOD or SVOD. Um, so I can add that to the to my glossary of TV terms. Um, let's wrap up with something fun. And since we did talk a lot about uh, COVID and, you know, just changing behaviors, I I my question to you guys is, what's your favorite thing to wear to work now these days? Aw. <laughs> Don't like that question? We want I'm, a different one? <laughs> I'm trying not to wear a hoodie every day. You know, normally I wear a little warm-up jacket because my office is colder than the rest of the house. So I'm trying to show that I have more clothes than just <laughs> three or four colors. I, on the other hand, are a creature of habit. So I still wear everything I've worn to the office and just go to the closet each morning and go to my variation of checkered shirt and sweater and head into the home office. So not much change in that front for me. What about you? So I am in the same boat as you, Linda. My office is colder than the rest of the house. So I am usually in some variation of layers of sweats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fleece awesome. is our friend. <laughs> for sure. Thank you everybody for tuning in uh, today. I know Linda and Connor, thank you both so much for sharing your expertise. I have learned a lot about advanced TV and have learned even more acronyms um, that I was not aware of before, like AVOD and SVOD. Those two were new to me. Um, I hope that you all have found this helpful. And if you have any questions about campaign audiences, uh, Linda's team, data guru at axiom.com stands at the ready to help you with any sort of recommendations and audience and data strategies for your, for your different campaigns and the business needs you're trying to meet. Be on the lookout, everyone, for more uh, blogs and conversations around the topic of advanced TV and what we're seeing in this very important space and how we see things evolving. Thanks and join us next time.